Well, if you've got a Bible with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Uh, now, you might say, well, what are we doing in Ecclesiastes chapter 11? We haven't been there this summer. Uh, it's not where we're going this fall. Uh, so we just wrapped up a summer series in the book of Galatians. We spent four months studying that as a church. Uh, beginning next week, next week is kind of our fall kickoff, and we are launching into or diving into a study of the book of Acts, which, will, which we will be in for many, uh, many months, uh, looking at the, the nature, the importance of the church, the mission and message that we are called to. But today we're doing something a little bit different. We're doing a one-off. And uh, since we are all in the midst of, we're, we're beginning a new season of life, right? I mean, just in general, we're all sort of making that transition from summer to fall and all of that. I thought it would be helpful for us to do something a little bit different today. So we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We're going to start at verse 7 of chapter 11, and we're going to continue. I'm going to read all the way to, to chapter 12 and verse 8. And here's what it says. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment." Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors of the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about in the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain of the wheel, broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Well, I entitled this message, The All-Season Guide to Life, because this passage looks at the different seasons of our lives. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes as a whole kind of draws attention to the fact that life is made up of different seasons. It is a mix of sweetness and bitterness, of prosperity and adversity. It's the joy of victory and it is the agony of defeat. Uh, chapter 3 deals with that extensively, this idea of the different seasons of life that we encounter. And there it says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, 
a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to si- for silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. That is life, right? It is being born, it is dying, and it is everything that happens in between. And there are no unmitigated joys or undiminished pleasures. We all will experience all of these things, planting and uprooting, weeping and laughing, seeking and finding, mourning and dancing. And those verses give us the honest truth about life, that we can expect all different types of weather in Vanity Fair. We'll experience all manner of seasons in life. Sometimes the, the sun will be shining. Sometimes the rain will be pouring down. At times, we won't be able to keep ourselves from smiling. And at other times, we won't be able to control our weeping. And life is really a progression of seasons. We begin in the spring of our lives where everything is new. Discovery awaits us. The whole world is before us. And we eventually progress to the winter of our lives. And the passage that we're looking at today has something to say about the different seasons of our lives. This passage has something to teach us about what happens as we age, as we move from spring to winter, and what we should be doing with our lives in the meantime. So the first thing we are told here is to take joy in all the seasons of your life. Verse 7 says it this way, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. I mean, amen to that, right? It's pleasant to see the sun. I mean, we've had an amazing run of weather this summer, and when the sun is shining like that, I mean, it just shows on people's faces. It's just pleasant. There's something that just brings up our countenance. When the sun is shining, everything is great. I think on that light, on that level, everyone can attest to the truth of this verse. Light is sweet. It's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. But, but that verse is not really a commentary on the weather. The verse is simply saying it's good to be alive. Every sunrise, every sunset, every good tasting meal, every glimpse of beauty, every backyard barbecue, every cuddle with your kids, every day we are given is a gift from God. And we ought to take joy in it. And the book of Ecclesiastes has a lot to say about joy. One of the themes of this book is that we can find joy in the simple things. Things like eating and drinking and working and friendships and beauty and sex. So in chapter 8 we read this. And I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Right? Enjoy it. In chapter 9, we're told this. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he's given you under the sun, because that is your portion and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. These things are all gifts from God, and they are given for our enjoyment. So enjoy life. That's one of the themes of this book. And here in our passage, in verse 8 of chapter 11, it goes on to say this. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. 
But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. So the book of Ecclesiastes is an honest book. It tells us, I mean, you may live many years or you may not. Some of your days are going to be filled with light and some of your days are going to be covered in darkness. But regardless of how long we live, regardless of what circumstances we face, we are told to rejoice in all things and in all seasons, however long we may live. And I think this is an important thing for us to apply, important truth for us to apply. It's, it's funny how often people go through life and they just kind of long for a different season. So when we're young, I mean, there's a, there's a stage where we just can't wait to grow up. I mean, we can't wait to have more freedom and to have more money. We can stay up as late as we want to. All the things we think when we're young, we're going to do when we get older. And when we're older, sometimes we wish we could just go back to the days where all it took was an ice cream cone to kind of solve all your problems. There are some things that we can do in the spring of our lives that we can't do in the winter of our lives. Because there are limitations in the winter of our lives, physical limitations, limitations of responsibility. And there are some things we can do in the winter of our lives because, you know, we've got the resources and the time to be able to do that that we can't do in the spring of our lives. And when I think about this, this kind of longing for a different season, I think about this poem that expresses what can happen if we live this way. And it says, it was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, and it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted, to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. And then it says, my life was over, and I never got what I wanted. And that's what happens if we live just kind of longing for another season. We just kind of wish our time away but we can never get our time back. Now, this is something you should understand as parents, those of you who are parents. I mean, here's how this works, right? The first year of your child's life, all you, you know, hope for, long for is, you know, the day they're going to start talking, the day they're going to start walking. And then for the next 18 years, you just wish they would sit still and be quiet. (laughs) You just kind of long for a different season. And it's really easy to do this. It's really easy to just kind of keep looking ahead to the next stage. Things will slow down. We'll have more time. We'll have more money. School will be done with. The kids will be out of diapers. The mortgage will be paid off. I won't have to work anymore. Then I'll start living. That's not the way it works. This verse says, So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Now, I know this is a really uh, simple truth. It's a basic truth, but so often we miss it. Psalm 118, 24 says this, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's important to remember, the verse doesn't say, you know, yesterday was the day the Lord had made, or tomorrow will be the day that the Lord will make. Those things are true. It says, this is the day. Let's rejoice in this day. 
And we, we get that repeatedly throughout the Bible. That's why Joshua will say, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. It's why Paul will say, today is the day of salvation. It's why the writer of Hebrews will say, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So regardless of what age, what stage, what season of life we find ourselves in, we need to take joy in each day God gives us. Second, more specific instruction we find in this passage is that we are told to enjoy, or you're told to enjoy, the spring of your life thoroughly and thoughtfully. Now, I should tell you, I'm really only going to talk about spring and winter today. This passage has something to say to those of you who are young, and it has something to say to those of you who are older, but it really has something to say to every one of us. But let's start with what it says to those who are young or those who are in the spring of their lives. Uh, Listen again to verses 9 and 10. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Now, these verses are addressed to someone who is in the spring of life. And I don't know exactly where the boundaries are between spring and summer and summer and fall and fall and winter, but there's a clear progression as we move from spring to winter. We move from those times where we can be totally carefree and pain-free to those times where we carry a greater responsibility, a greater burden of responsibility and deal with more pain. And you can judge for yourselves which season you are in right now. One of my favorite preachers, Alistair Begg, says that we can basically tell what season of life we are in by what aisles we visit at the drugstore. <laughs> so, so just think about that. When you're a kid, the only aisle you even know exists is the one that has the candy and the comics. When you're a teenager, you discover the aisle with the deodorant, hopefully, and the acne medication, As you get older, you discover there are other aisles in this place. And there are some aisles I've still never even been down. (laughs) But some of you have, because you're in a different season of life than I am. Now, I'm not saying I'm young, because I'm pretty sure I'm not in spring anymore. I think it's fall. The aches and pains of my body tell me I'm not in spring anymore. So when you're young your injuries tend to be sort of more spectacular, right? I mean, you know, I bounced over the the netting on the trampoline and broke my arm, or I wiped out on my bike trying to do this jump. The last two injuries that I have that were significant, one came from tying my shoe (laughs) and the other one from painting a wall. So I know I'm not in spring, and it's not just the body. It's the increased responsibility that happens as you get older. There's a greater burden that comes. So I just finished my sabbatical, a time my friends referred to as the summer of Lee, because I had no responsibilities. I could do whatever I wanted to do. I literally woke up some mornings, 5 o'clock, and said, you know what, I'm going to go golfing today. Peace out. See you later. I could do that. I didn't have those responsibilities that I'm used to. I, I, I normally can't do that sort of thing. 
And on the other side of it, I've actually watched our kids now begin to come to the next season of their lives. This is how old I am because I remember the time when they were little and they would go to bed at like 7 o'clock or 7.30 and we would have evenings together. Then I remember when they were teenagers in high school that, you know, all of a sudden they stayed up later than we did. And now I'm watching as they say, man, it's 9 o'clock. I got to go to bed because I got to be at work at 7 in the morning. And I'm loving it, right? <laughs> but that's how it, that's how it works. You go through these seasons. There's something great about being in the spring of your life because you have no cares, you have no pain, you can enjoy yourself. And as a follow-up to this idea of enjoying the spring of your life thoroughly and thoughtfully, I want to say two things we need to keep in mind. So this is, again, primarily addressed to those of you in the spring of life So those of you who are young, I want to say this to you, but it really has application for everyone. If we're going to enjoy the spring of our life thoroughly and thoughtfully, the first thing we need to do is we need to live in the knowledge of its brevity. Life is short, and the spring of your life is even shorter. Uh, Verse 10 of chapter 11 tells us that during this season of life, we ought to remove vexation from our heart and put away pain from our body because youth and the dawn of life are vanity they're over quickly spring is over before you know it this is why you don't want to waste time in the spring of your life with unnecessary uh, anxiety and burdens and vexation like i would just say to any of you in high school right now i don't understand why you want to date anyone in high school. There is enough time for all the vexation that causes later in life, right? The drama that goes with it, all of that. I mean, just put that away from your body. Just enjoy your time. If you're young, you ought to rejoice in the blessing of being young. Your whole life is before you. You've got lots to celebrate. Now, I don't think any of us should ever stop dreaming about what we want to do for the glory of God. But when you're young, you can still go in any number of directions. You can still walk, as it says here, in the ways of your heart, in the sight of your eyes. I mentioned last week that we sent one of our daughters uh, on Tuesday. She left for a year of, of a Bible school in Texas, right? I mean, emotional day and, and all of that for us. But I can't do that. I can't just say, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to go spend a year in Texas and learn some stuff. When you're in the spring of your life, you can do those sorts of things. So you should take advantage of the freedom and the opportunities that you have. You should savor every experience. Don't waste these years. You should enjoy the spring of your life thoroughly, but you should also enjoy it thoughtfully. So it says here, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But then it says, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Now, the second half of that verse is not put there to spoil all your fun. It's not as if God spreads out this this lavish banquet and then says, you know, come and and eat this, but just know you're going to get fat, right? That's not the idea. The second half of that verse is put there to temper our hedonistic impulses. And this is especially important when we're young because often when we're young, we actually lack the self-control to say no to things. So enjoy it, but know there is a judgment. 
See, when we're young, we haven't yet learned that the pursuit of pleasure is not the highest good. And we ought to remember every day of our lives is a gift from God, or not only a gift from God, but also lived in the presence of God. And understanding the brevity of life helps us enjoy it thoroughly. The other instruction we're given about this is that we ought to live in the light of eternity. And this is the point of the reminder that God will bring every deed into judgment. When we're young, we're tempted to think, well, we can do whatever we want. There are no consequences. I mean, it didn't feel anything physically. We tend to think we're invincible. We tend to think that the the generation that came before us was old-fashioned. Their rules were were prudish or puritanical. What we need to understand is that the warnings here, this warning here, but know that for everything God will bring you into judgment is actually there for our protection. It's a number of years ago now, but I remember reading an an article that appeared in the New York Times shortly after the tsunami ripped through the Japanese coastline in 2011. And the article was about tsunami stones. So we put one up on the screen here for you. Uh, This one is from Aniyoshi, Japan. And that stone tablet stood on the forested hillside since before the residents who lived there were born. But the villagers faithfully obeyed The stark warning carved on its weathered face. That part of what it says there is, do not build your homes below this point. And the residents there said it was this injunction from their ancestors that kept their tiny village safely out of the reach of the deadly tsunami that wiped out hundreds of miles of Japanese coasts. The wave stopped about 300 feet below that stone. And the writer said they knew the horrors of tsunamis. So they erected that stone to warn us, said Tamashigi Kumura, the village leader at Aniyoshi. Hundreds of so-called tsunami stones, some more than six centuries old, dot the coast of Japan, giving silent testimony to the past destruction these lethal waves have frequented upon this earthquake-prone nation. But modern Japan, confident that advanced technology, higher seawalls would protect vulnerable areas, came to forget or ignore these ancient warnings, dooming it to repeat the bitter experience when that tsunami struck. The writer said the tsunami stones are warnings across generations, telling descendants to avoid the same suffering of their ancestors. Some places heeded these lessons of the past, but many didn't. And I would just say we can make those same warnings when it comes to what we read here in Ecclesiastes 11, we can ignore that warning, but we do so to our own, pe- our own peril. So enjoy your life thoroughly, but also enjoy it thoughtfully. When I say that, I don't just mean think about the consequences of your actions. That's part of it, but it's the beginning of chapter 12 that really helps us have the right perspective during the spring of our lives. Here's what it says. Again, to those of you in the spring of your life, listen to these words. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you say, I have no pleasure in them. Again, I think this is really important. Some people get the idea that, you know, I'll get serious about my faith when I'm older, right? That, that's something older people do. I mean, when I'm older, I'll have time to read my Bible and to get involved in church and to do ministry. That's not the right way to look at it. 
these verses remind us that we ought to give our best years to God. We ought to do it in the days of our youth. The preacher tells us to remember our creator in the days of our youth or while we still can. As Charles Bridges, a commentator from an earlier era, put it, many have remembered too late, but none too soon. So I want to say to those of you in the spring of life, those of you who are young, it's never too soon to start living your life with eternity in view. And living with eternity in view means that, that every, we understand that everything we do matters not just for this life, but for eternity. Well, spring is just one season of our lives. We also learn something about winter in these verses. And here I would say, embrace the winter of your life gracefully and hopefully. Again, I think it's really important for us to remember today because people approach aging in different ways. Our culture idolizes youth. I mean, here's the, the way it works is, you know, we want to grow up as fast as we can, and then we want to stay young as long as we can. And even if we can't quite stay young, we want to look young as long as we can. In a book entitled Drinking Problems at the Fountain of Youth, Journalist Beth Tiedel has chronicled how no one seems exempt from this fear of aging, not even the rich. Here's what she said. She said, I know women who worked hard to get into good colleges, worked their connections to land enviable jobs, married well, produced children who could pose for Ralph Lauren ads. They vacation on the right islands with the right beach towels and the right heiresses. They have fractional ownership in Cessnas, for heaven's sake. And yet, if they have furrows and hints of upper lip lines and puppet mouth, when those around them are smoother than freshly ironed linens, what's it all worth in a word? Nothing, right? They put all their hope, all their trust, all their confidence in their appearance, looking young, the fountain of youth. And in the end, they discover it's worthless. You can't stop it. So some people resist aging fiercely. All their efforts go towards trying to convince themselves and everyone else they're not old. And I would just say to you, there are better ways to spend the winter of your life. So let me just say to those of you who are older that we don't want you to check out of the game. We need your wisdom and your experience. We need mentors. We need role models. We need people who can demonstrate what lifelong faithfulness to God looks like. We need to see couples who have walked hand in hand through all that life has thrown at them and have remained together for the glory of God. You, too, need to make the most of your time. So some resist aging fiercely. Others embrace it. And if you've been around people like that, you know they're they're a joy to be around. Uh, Maybe you've heard about the, the couple in Florida who wanted to get married in their older years. Jacob was 92, Rebecca was 89. And as they discussed their wedding, they they passed a drugstore and Jacob suggested they go in. Addressing the man behind the counter, Jacob said, look, we're getting married. Do you sell heart medication? Yes, of course we do, said the pharmacist. How about medicine for circulation? All kinds. Medicine for rheumatism, scoliosis, definitely. Medicine for memory problems, arthritis, jaundice, Yes, a large variety, said the pharmacist. What about, whatever the doctor orders, what about vitamins, sleeping pills, Geritol? 
Absolutely. Do you have wheelchairs and walkers? Yes, all speeds, all sizes. Great, said Jacob. We'd like to use this store as our bridal registry. (laughs) Right, see, that's a couple. They're embracing the winter of their lives. Now, now that's funny to some of you, and for some of you, it's like hits way too close to home, right? <laughs> now, when, when I say we should embrace the winter of our lives, I'm not saying, you know, just, let's just let ourselves go, spend our days in a rocking chair. I'm saying we need to approach these years the right way. So let me say two other things about winter. The first thing we need to do as we face it is to live in the knowledge of its reality. Uh, the opening verses of chapter 12 describe the winter of our lives through the metaphor of a broken, a broken down house. So let me just read through the passage, then I'll just make a few comments about what's going on. So he says to remember that, that our creator in the days of our youth, and then he says before, in verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, And the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low, and and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about in the streets. So this is a metaphor for the winter of our lives. Let me just try to unpack it quickly. The keepers of the house tremble. That's our arms and our hands. They start to literally shake with age. The coffee cup is not quite as steady as it once was. That The strong men are bent Uh, Our legs don't stand quite as straight. We start to stoop with age. The grinders cease because they are few. Most scholars think that's a reference to our teeth if we've still got them. The windows are our eyes that are dimmed by cataracts or just general loss of vision. So like I see this all the time. My eyes are going fast. I mean, my kids now will be like, hey, dad, I've got to show you this this cool video or meme or something. And I'm like... I mean, I, I can't even tell if it's funny because I don't have my glasses on. Like, that's, that's where I'm at now. The reference to the doors shut to the hustle and bustle of the city street is probably a reference to our gradual hearing loss. And yet it says we're up with the birds because we can't sleep. The daughters of song are our vocal cords, which no longer have the strength they once did. Being afraid of what is high and the terrors along the way speaks to the way that, you know, ladders start to look a, a little bit higher, that the troubles on the street kind of, Scare us a little more. We're more fragile. Almond trees, it says blossom. Well, they turn white in the spring when they blossom, which is probably a reference to our hair, which turns white with age. Some of you don't even need to worry about that, right? It's already gone. (laughs) Then it's this picture of a grasshopper dragging itself around, which refers to the loss of our mobility. I, I know it's super encouraging, right? We need to understand this is actually reality. In 2 Samuel 19, we read about a man named Barzillai. And here's what it says. Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old. He had provided the king with food while he stayed at Mahanaim. For for he was a very wealthy man. And the king said to Barzillai, come over with me and I will provide for you with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, 
How many years have I still to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to, the Lord, to my Lord, the king? Right? He's feeling, he's feeling the effects of his age. He's saying, look, I, I can't even taste things anymore. I've got no joy in this. I can't do I feel like a burden. Now, this is not to say that's, that you should feel like a burden or, or anything. It's just age comes for all of us. Gravity catches up to all of us. We, we experience something different in the winter of our lives than we experienced in the spring of our lives. So I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news, but we need to come to terms with this at some point. The passage continues by saying that desire is no longer stirred. I'll leave you to figure out what kind of desire it's referring to. But the Hebrew literally reads, the caperberry fails. Now, caperberries were thought to be a type of aphrodisiac. And so it has a reference to that. So look at this picture of King David uh, at the end of his life. That's what comes to mind for me. It says, now King David was old and advanced in years. And although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore, his servants said to him, let a young woman be sought for my Lord, the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms that my Lord, the king, may be warm. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag, the Shumanite, and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful, and she was of service to the king and attended to him. But the king knew her not. And that's a euphemism for intimacy now, I know, you, you hear all this, some of you are ready to walk out, right? This sounds kind of depressing. Is this really what we have to look forward to in the winter of our lives? And that's it? Well, I think you need to hear one more thing. And the other thing we need to do in the winter of our lives is we need to live in the light of eternity. Now, if it sounds like I'm repeating myself, it's because I am. The urgent need in our youth, in the spring of our lives, is to live with eternity in view. And the urgent need in the winter of our lives is to live with eternity in view. This passage goes on to say that man goes to his eternal home and that therefore we should remember God before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Four times there is a reference to something that is broken, and it doesn't take a biblical scholar to figure out this is a description of us and our bodies at the end of our lives. At that point it says, all that's left is for the mourners to go about in the streets. Now, I know that could be a really depressing picture, but it doesn't have to be. Verse 7 says of chapter 12, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Now, we're not sure if the preacher had a full-blown understanding of the resurrection and all that that entailed, but it is the resurrection and only the resurrection that brings hope in the winter of our lives. Interestingly, I mean, so just, just think about this. I mean, if, if, if all your hope has been centered around your health, your appearance, 
your possessions, your accomplishments? What is left at the very end of your life? I mean, what can you take with you from that? But if there is an eternity, we understand that there is something far even greater to look forward to. And interestingly, the Apostle Paul uses a similar metaphor of a house or a building when he speaks about the hope of a resurrection in the New Testament. Here's what he says. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. See, living in the light of eternity is the thing that allows us to face any season of our life with hope because we have a building from God in the heavens, not made with earthly hands, but with his hands. And we will be in his presence for all eternity. So we're going to spend some time celebrating the Lord's Supper uh, together this morning. And as we do that... um, I'm going to read for you some verses in in Hebrews chapter 9 that are connected to this, this idea of living your life, but also knowing judgment awaits. And here's what we read. Verse 27 of Hebrews 9, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So it's appointed for every person who has ever lived to live once and after that to face judgment. And what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that Jesus already faced that judgment for us. He took the judgment that we deserved upon himself And because of that, we can have a right relationship with God. And more than that, he says Christ will return and save those who are waiting for him. If that's our hope, we have every reason to be joyful. So we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, bearing those things in mind. Uh, And as we do that, the way we do it as a church, if you are new with us, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are walking in fellowship with him, then we invite you to participate along with us. We come forward. We take the bread that represents the body of Jesus, which was given for us as a sacrifice. We take the cup that represents his blood that was shed for our forgiveness. And uh, we will partake of that together after this song. So come get it. And also, if you're here this morning and, and you know maybe there's stuff happening in your life and you just need someone to pray with, uh, you can do that down at the front as well.